Welcome to the DDI podcast, where we're on a mission to demystify the misconceptions surrounding the digital infrastructure sector. My guest today joins us all the way from Australia and has become one of the fastest rising influential and well-recognized faces in the data center and digital infrastructure sectors. Named one of Data Center Magazine's top 10 influencers, she has a fantastic social media presence, using it to inform and challenge the industry through thought-provoking content, spanning a huge range of topics, including how to lead changes in corporate culture, fitness, and offering advice for women in STEM-related industries. Today, I am delighted to welcome Lauren Ryder, Customer Experience Officer for Leading Edge, as my guest for a discussion on how the company is helping bridge the digital divide in regional Australia. Her experience spearheading change, transformation, and leadership initiatives, and how through mentoring, coaching, and empowering a new generation of gender-diverse leaders, we can begin to solve one of the sector's biggest issues, the talent challenge. Lauren, it's brilliant to be here with you. Clearly, I'm not in Australia, but um, and thanks for joining me on the fourth episode of the DDI podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Mark. I'm really happy to be here, and thanks for that warm welcome and introduction. Lauren, you're very, very welcome. Shall we Shall we get straight into this then? And I've, my first question leads us into, um, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your personal journey into the tech sector, and how did you become involved in the data center industry, and, and what really fascinates you about it? I've had some great intros on how people got into tech, so I'm intrigued to learn more about your story. Well, my story started a really long time ago, back when I was in university, 20-something years ago. And uh, I was take, I was doing a business degree, and I had decided that I wanted to be in marketing. Um, and I started taking some marketing classes and realized, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> and I found it quite boring. And so I called my dad, who was a professor of computer science at a different university. And he said, you know, your university has a bachelor and master's program in IT within your business school. And so I went ahead and applied and I got in. And so I ended up with, um, with a master's of science and project management of software development projects. So pretty technical to begin with. So off I started my career, um, got a few jobs here and there in the industry and decided that project management was super boring. And I was really <laughs> interested. <laughs> I, I just, well, I mean, I, it's a great skill and I think everybody needs project management skills. But I was actually more interested in the outcome of what I was delivering. I was speaking to stakeholders, finding out what is the software doing and how does it impact your customers and stakeholders. And so I ended up moving my career into change management and then, you know, for small projects. And then it grew and it ended up being massive organizational transformations. And so a lot of these transformations ended up as digital transformations, as as the buzzword was probably over the last 10 years, where we would replace cool. entire systems within companies and the people, the processes, the whole thing. And yeah, so that was really how I got into it. Now, how I got into the data center industry specifically, I certainly didn't have a background. I knew what it was. I knew what it looked like. Um, I knew that there was racks inside and you could connect to the networks and, uh, and do some processing, but that was probably about it. But just, um, just before lockdown, actually, um, I was asked to join a company called Leading Edge Data Centers. And um, they kind of said, look, we need you. We, we need to grow a business. We need your skills. You know, what can you do for us? And I said, well, you know, I can, I can look after your customers. I can set that whole process of customer experience. And they said, yeah, yeah, come in and do that. 
But in the absence of customers, um, it was marketing. <laughs> because that's what, yeah, how are you going to get customers? And so I ended up looking after their brand and all the marketing and the customer engagement and, and getting people on board and sharing this story of this incredible company. So it, yeah, it's been an absolutely incredible journey. So I think the one thing I can depict from this, and then very similar to other guests actually, is it's not always a straight road into this industry, is it? No, I, I don't think it is. I mean, I'm not sure that many people wake up in the morning and say, I really want to work in the data center industry. But the thing is, I think once you get there, you realize it's it's actually really fun and it's actually really exciting what's going on. Well, it's hugely vast and, and very demanding on a whole plethora of different skills, which perhaps we might talk about more later on in the pod. But um, let, let me move on to, um, on, on to the next uh, question here then, which is um, leading edges, it's the mission piece for me. And, and to bridge the digital divide in regional Australia is, I mean, it's incredible. And it's a perfect real example, actually, of where our industry data centers is a force for good. Can you tell us about the company's mission and your personal learnings? Because I'm sure you'd have gone through some different phases, shall we say as you scaled across the country. Absolutely. So, so the founder, Chris Thorpe, um, had traveled across regional Australia and realized that the connectivity was awful. And, and people who aren't in Australia just probably wouldn't get it because even in, in other countries, even in sort of places outside of the major cities, there still is decent connectivity. But what he found was that the businesses and the people were having really slow internet connections. And, and also it was just really, they had no resilience. Um, you know, you go, the further you go out, you know, there was even some farm where a backhoe took out a network cable and an entire city was out for about three days. So, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not what you would expect in metropolitan. And he decided that it was his mission to fix this. And so that's how Leading Edge Data Center started. So it really was the mission to bridge the digital divide is really about saying that metro that regional towns and cities should have parity access so equitable access to internet and to any connectivity and to cloud. So they have the exact same experience as you would in metropolitan cities. And um, as you mentioned during the first question, one of the things you're interested in is the outcome yeah. of software. So tell me what has been the outcome of this activity? What has it, what has it led to and, um, and what positive change have you seen? We've had some incredible customer stories. Um, in one of the first, the, the second town that we rolled out in was a place called Tamworth, New South Wales, which um, is actually known as the uh, country music home of Australia. <laughs> And we set up a data center there. We got one of our MSPs on board and they brought on a customer who has a really large car dealership. And I don't mean just a small one. I'm talking these guys have multiple branches. They have cars. They've got a leasing fleet. They, it's, it's a really huge operation. Sure. Um, and so we plugged them in and they set up their entire network on us and they are now getting something like four at least four times the speed um and they're paying probably about 70 percent of what they used to pay um, with their previous providers and when i say previous providers there was no data center out there so they were actually paying the telcos for this service so they were getting it so the, the speed they and the other thing is with the um managed service providers they would have their customers kit 
in their customer's office before. So, and they would be in like cupboards and in kitchens and wow. under stairs. Yeah. And in the region, they've got um, what they call brownouts. So, you know, the power, the electricity yeah. would go out um, and then suddenly your entire office is out. And then the MSPs would have to go out there in their car and travel like a hundred kilometers and restart every single server and make sure that it's running. Yeah. Um, so as soon as these MSPs have now come into our data center and they centralize all their kit, then, and because it's a tier three data center and it doesn't go down, these storms come through and everybody's still working. So it's not, it's not just sort of cost benefit or speed benefit, but it's also productivity. It doesn't go down. Well, and it sounds like atypical with a data center, of course, it's the, it's the resilience aspect as well. Not just resilience in terms of it doesn't go down because of power, but because all the externalities affecting power, shortage, brownouts, black, whatever it is, it's, it's particularly challenging. I can see that. Well, that was a great example. And thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm also really interested. Um, you know, one of my passions and beliefs is that actually this industry has a serious role to play in sustainability. And actually, I, I think... I think it might be doing some decent work. I wonder if you might be able to share with us, you know, as we think more broadly, sustainability, ESG, what, what, what do you think has been successful so far? And what could, we, what could we do to better increase the sector's impact on those global targets? Yeah, look, it's it's a huge piece for leading edge data centers, making sure that it is sustainable. And it was built into every single aspect of the business. Um, and I think, you know, data centers now have to almost retrofit that, whereas we had the um, ability to build with it in mind. So even, you know, when we were building the data centers, we put solar solar on the top and we put it on top of what we called a solar shield. So there was a gap in between the data center and then the roof above it, which kept the whole building cool. So already we're using less cooling. Um, inside, we use all the Schneider electric kit, so all the excess structure, and that is all sensitive, like they told the, you know, the, the devices, the IoT, it just makes sure that we're using the least amount of power as possible. Um, we also um, have a sustainability expert on board. Um, so we are net zero in the office and aiming to get that in all of the data centers as well in the next year. And we can, we're ready to switch on renewables at any moment. Now, the question that you actually asked was, what are we actually doing? What's the future and how can we make it better? And I think it's that renewables point that mm. is a real struggle. So we've actually signed up with providers to be able to switch over to renewable any day. We can just swap it over, no problem. The challenge is it, it, it's, it's much more costly. You know, it can be 20% mm. more. Now, our customers, we're going to have to pass that cost on. Our customers are not willing to pay that. So I think there's a real opportunity within all the industries to see how we can bring down the cost of renewables so that mm. everyone can benefit from it. So it's just the way that we operate. Yeah, I think that's a, re that's a really interesting point. And, um, you know, as you quite rightly said, and thank you for the plug on the Schneider Electric piece there, but um, it's, it's one of the areas that I think for Schneider Electric we're playing particular um, attention to right now is the procurement of power. Um, you know, we're number one in the world for the green procurement of power. It's an interesting topic for us. We do it for our customers, but but actually it is, it is how do you create the ecosystem that's big enough to bring the cost of that power down. So, so I'm sure we're going to have another discussion on that at a date in the future, Lauren, but um, I think it's a great point. How do we get the mass together? to make sure that we've got enough there to um, to drive that cost down as a, and make it more attractive as well. Absolutely. 
Um, in terms of challenges, because I'm sure there's been a few for you, you know, your um, leading edge has been going for a little while, but um, what's been the top challenge when you think about your growth in your business and, and how are you addressing the top challenges that you face and if there are any today? Yeah, so, you know, I, I did mention when I talked about um, Tamworth and I said there is, there was no data center there. Well, there aren't any data centers anywhere across regional Australia. And so when we would go out there, so we have to do road shows. You actually have to go out there and show your face and get all the locals on board. But when we started our presentation, we would put up a slide and the first slide said, what is a data center? And, you know, because if you're talking in Metro, a company will call you and they'll say, I'll take two kilowatt racks and I'll take this connectivity and I'll take some cross connects and see you later, hang up the phone. That was not the conversation that we were having in regional. We had to start as an education process. And, you know, even trying to explain to these MSPs, like, hey, you guys can actually change your business model. You can make way more money by selling things as a service on your own infrastructure. You know, and, and it was funny because, you know, 80% of them would just give us blank looks because they hadn't quite gotten there. It was that 20% that came up to us afterwards and said, where do I sign up? I love it. I get it. But it was this education piece that has mm -hmm. been our struggle. So it's not only what does it do, but then the question is, how do we use it? How do we get into this? Because yeah, it's it's great, but what do we do? And so, you know, we've had to, our sales guys have actually had to become advisors in that and help them to see the future. So that's been a really um, interesting piece. And I think the other challenge was when you go out there, you know, we say, we're going to fix all of your infrastructure problems. And they go, yeah, mate, we've heard that one before. <laughs> and, you know, because you guys have come out from the big smoke and you're going to solve our problems. Fantastic. <laughs> but we actually did. And we actually came and we showed up and we kept going and we kept showing up. And, you know, it's great when you, you get in the car and you travel, you know, hundreds of kilometers and you show up and you actually bump into people you know there because you have to form the relationships. And that has been a real challenge, actually, just being there all the time. But we did make sure to fix that one. We got local salespeople. So while they weren't experts in data centers, because how could you be? But they they were the right people with the right personalities, with the right technical understanding, so they could actually get out there and penetrate that market. It's really interesting. Um, I mean, what you're saying here is um, is exactly what, well, one of the purposes and the reasons for us to do this podcast was to kind of demystify what this whole sector is. And I think what you've said and you're doing there is you're making it simple. And, and I, I remember, and I played this story back a million times, I had a conversation with somebody from the, the written press and he said, if you're going to describe something, just make sure it's so simple your ground can understand it. And I thought, yeah, well, that's it. And it sounds like you've gone right back to basics here, which is, here's the potential solution and here's the why. But more importantly, this is how we're all going to interact. It's exactly right. It has, look, it has to be human. It has to be a human solution. You know, if you start saying, oh, you know, you can connect to the cloud and people go, you know, and suddenly, you know, faces glaze over and we say everything's in the cloud. You know, your your phone, if anything you look at, that's in the cloud. It's really just a server somewhere else. We're just bringing it closer to you. So it's faster. And they go, oh, OK, we get that. So, yeah, absolutely. It just has to be in plain English with examples that people can relate to. Yeah, I mean, that fascinating point, actually. I think we, we've we've just recently looked at our new, the way that we're going to market some of the stuff that we do. And uh, we've been particularly passionate around making it so simple. 
because it, the simplicity is done well, is class leading. So, um, so we're going to strip it all back to basics. Anyway, that's enough about my marketing strategy. Um, let's move us on to change and change transformation, an area you're particularly passionate about. Can you tell us more about your work here and why today's businesses need visionary leaders to empower their workforces? I'm really interested in your your answer to this. Yeah, so look, the only constant is change. We hear it all the time. All businesses are constantly going under change. And it used to be that people would roll out these massive programs of work. I mentioned the digital transformation before. Companies would rip out the guts of their their business and then put something new in. And, you know, but they would only do that like, you know, every three to five years. It was a big project. What's happened now, and I think it's because a lot of the um, the applications are sort of more in the cloud and just the way that people do business and the more agile ways of working and also just keeping up with competition, we find that people are doing a lot more change, but on a smaller scale. And so while the big transformation programs work, it's actually more constant than that. And so how do we set up an organization so that every person is comfortable being uncomfortable all the time because nobody likes change. And so the way that we do that is through really strong, supportive leadership. And so one of my passions is actually training and coaching leaders who are going to be taking their teams through change and actually training them on this is what change does to people's brains. This is why they behave in this way. So when you can spot XYZ behaviors, this is what you can do about it to help your team. So, you know, being an actual hands-on leader was what's going to make change stick. And that's what you want. That's where you get the return on investment, you know? And so that's kind of the integral part. The other piece that is probably the most important is that the person who's leading it, so whether it's a sponsor, so either a CEO or the head of the department, whoever that person is, they have to be so visionary and so dedicated to that message that everybody believes in it. And so those skills are really important that, you know, somebody, a leader has, it has influence, um, that people listen to them, that they come on the journey with them. And so those skills are great, but they don't always come naturally. And so, you know, my job is to help support and coach these leaders to make sure that they tell the right story in the right way all the time. Um, so they, they're sick of telling the story by the end of it, but also, a different way to each stakeholder because guess what people only actually care what it means to them so that's kind of the essence of how we do change fascinating fascinating and for, for those individuals where it might not be so natural so where it's not storytelling or influencing is not something you look at them straight away and you go yeah i'm not sure she's got that how do you how do you kind of reverse chain back from that point to give the, that person those skills yeah, it's a lot of coaching and it's a bit, you know, slow and reflective. And look, I will say not everybody is always cut out to be that big visionary inspirational leader. So what we have to do is look at people's strengths and say, okay, so you're not a huge storyteller, but how can you relate the change to yourself and be able to talk about it in terms that other people will listen? Because everybody does have their own sphere of influence. You don't have to be the person who's standing up on stage telling the big speech, right? We, we need people in all different ways to tell the story. Yeah, and that, that, that's an interesting point as well, isn't it? Because you, 
You know, I've seen uh, in our own organization where one of the senior leaders delivers the story, but it's the foot soldiers that also have a responsibility. You know, maybe as you, I think you've just highlighted then, not in the same kind of grandeur in front of 500 people, but with their individual business with 50 or 60 people in it. It's important. Yeah, that's it. And so, so really, change yeah? program. Absolutely. So change programs when they're designed. So we talk about what the leader says, but then we talk about all of the, the other leaders and managers within the team. And so the, the communication piece is not just bringing them on board. It's every single level of the organization. Because the last thing you want to do is roll something out. And then somebody says, wait, hang on, you didn't tell me. And now I'm supposed to support my teams on this. So the, the, to, in my mind, change programs, that's how they need to be run with it being leader led as opposed to just top down. Yeah, like it, leader-led. I'm going to remember that one. Thank you, Lauren. There's a golden nugget from today. Now, um, I, I guess once we we have our change, we have our strategy, we have our new piece or new way of thinking out there, we need to help and support those leaders. I think you just mentioned that. Um, one area of particular passion for me in my, I guess, in what I stand for and what I believe is mentoring and coaching. And um, you run an organization as well that helps to deliver professional development. Can you share some insights into your business here? And, and how have your own experiences as a female leader shaped your journey? Well, that's an interesting um, question, and, and particularly how I even got into the female and the female empowerment, because it is a huge piece of what I do. So I, I think I mentioned at the beginning, my dad had said, oh, you should join, do IT. But what he actually said after that was, there's actually not that many women in the IT industry, so you're always going to have a job. And I just thought, hang on a second. So first of all, I'd rather be hired for my brains than my gender. And second of all, I got to do something about this. Like there's absolutely no way we can have an entire industry that has so few women in it. And so throughout my journey, throughout my career, I have made it an absolute priority to support women. Um, so when I first joined the workforce, I jumped on the board. Of, at the, that time, it was a women's group called Females in Information Technology and Telecommunications. And I jumped on that and I did as much as I could. I ended up uh, meeting this wonderful woman named Janine, who has started this thing called the Tech Girls Movement, which encourages girls to choose IT as a career, or at least in uni. And when I say girls, I'm talking about like high school and, and middle school girls. And so I went around the country, um, you know, standing there and talking to them how much, how cool an IT job is, particularly for women. So I've been doing this all the way through. Um, so, you know, the, the whole kind of women empowerment, the female empowerment thing has always been really important because the industry that we've been in, in IT, there's so few women. Now, interestingly, I get into the data center world and I remember the first conference I went to and I looked around and I... I just got on my soapbox. I said to everyone, where's all the women? I think of the, of the whole room, hundreds of people, I think there was three of us. Um, I was really disappointed, but we've got to do something about this. So, so the whole women's empowerment piece and being a woman in an industry is really important. Now, the other piece of that, when we talked about um, uh, bringing professional development skills to people, um, so this is something that I've been unbelievably passionate about. And how it came about was as we were running transformation, 
we found that the people in these organizations didn't necessarily have all the skills they need. And I'm not talking technical skills. Um, the term used to be called soft skills, but I don't like that word. I prefer core skills. And I'm talking about things like communications and negotiation and stakeholder management and decision making and even all those really core leadership skills around coaching and mentoring that people need. And so there's such a gap in the market. I, 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 I don't understand why every business doesn't support women doing this or even men, everybody. And so we designed these programs where we actually go out and we train people, put on a six month program. And um, what I love about it is from day one, where we have our first workshop, we have coaching in between all the way down to month six. And I start seeing the growth of these people and I see they have these light bulb moments and it's just so warming to me. They, they grow and they, they, they really do start achieving good things. And I've seen people get promoted because of it. So, you know, so from my perspective, this whole professional development thing, I feel it's so important for businesses to invest in their people because they will stay long-term and deliver amazing things with that support. Yeah, I, I mean, well, I mean, I, I picked up on a few things there. I picked up on the strength of networking, and you've seen the strength of your network grow through some of the work that you've done to raise the profile of women in, well, IT first of all, and then into the data center industry. And I, by the way, I, I felt the same when I went to a, a recent event here in the UK back in the early part of the year. So I, I absolutely saw that. I, th I think there's also a place here, Lauren, isn't there, for uh, male advocates to step up and, and play their part as well. I think we have. I think that that. I think that 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 is the big the biggest solution. The solution sits with men understanding that this is the actual situation for women, and this is how you need to be a supportive advocate. We need these ally programs, and we need to have them formal. And and you know they need the coaching and the support and the education because it really is a different lived experience. Um, as much as you know, people don't want to believe. Oh, we're all equal here. Um, the fact is, it is a different experience if you know, you're one of, you know, few people in the room, it doesn't feel great. And so, you know, how can you make men more supportive? I think through all this training and coaching. Yeah. And um, there, there is a constant, a constant need for development. And I, and I, I kind of say to my teams, you know, if we're, if we're not going forwards with our learning and development, then we're going backwards. Uh, there's no, uh, there's no in between. Um, so fascinating, fascinating topic just covered then. I mean, uh, great stories as well. Thank you for those. Um, and, and then when you, so you told me a little bit about how, you know, you got into this and you you went through your career. When you look back now, um, that's, you know, we've still got a bit of work to be done here. Let's be absolutely right. But when you think about, you know, some of, maybe some of the talks and discussions that you're having with young people, um, what advice would you offer to them? Uh, you know, just thinking about the start of their professional journey in tech. I mean, when I say tech, it's in a tech industry. Uh, and what do you believe the digital infrastructure sector needs to do to attract a new generation of diverse talent? How can how can I help? <laughs> well, first of all, if somebody is looking into the industry or looking to maybe study technology. I'd say go find a mentor, go find somebody who, you know, you resonate and it could be male or it could be female, um, but just somebody so that can be there to help you to answer questions. Because I would say that just about every person in the tech industry wants new talent to come through. So anyone you call out to will be supportive. 
Um, I think from the, you know, from, from the people who are already in the industry and what they can do, I think sponsorship is a huge opportunity and, and people get confused between mentorship and sponsorship. So, you know, mentorship really is where the mentee will go seek out a mentor and they'll have some sort of a relationship where the mentor will help them get through whatever they need. Now, sponsor is actually quite different because the sponsor is an advocate and is an active advocate for that person. So if there's somebody in an organization and they can spot talent, go ahead and pick out that talent and put them up to make a presentation or to be on a committee or, you know, what, whatever the thing is, make sure that this part, these people who come in actually get to be seen and, you know, they have an opportunity to showcase and shine. And I think that's a real important piece. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a very important piece, eh? Because giving people an opportunity uh, to go and show and and actually to test them a little bit because you'll test their resilience and them under pressure and you, but you then start to learn, don't you? You then get to understand and be curious about well, why was my heart rate 140 when I was presenting to the Exco, for example? Um, you know, so there's a whole bunch of different things um, that I think and topics. I love the active. Um, advocates around sponsorship, by the way. If you were thinking about doing a bit of a PR campaign on our industry to maybe earlier talents way back when, so I'm thinking eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds, what, what, what could that look like, do you think? What, how would we target that? It has to be personal. So it has to be, remember we talked about what's in it for me? So yeah. if 10, 11, 12 year olds are into, I don't know, video games, you know, you can show someone playing a video game and then heading down a pipe into a data center and someone doing something in there. I don't know, just off, just off my head. But these are things that could happen. You know, you, you have to make it relevant to say, how can I be part of something that I love that means something to me? And I think that's um, that's where we have to target. It can't just be, hey, tech is cool. No, nobody's going to listen to that. No, because often, no, you're right. Because often people say, ah, oh, tech, you have to be really good at science to do that stuff and maths, and I'm rubbish at maths, and I'm, I, it's just not that at all. But we need to get the message across that it isn't that, and it could be this cool thing like you watch Netflix, I do gaming, uh, I use bank, I use yeah, all those things. So um, yeah, fascinating. So we've talked a little bit about your history. We've talked a little bit about your journey and uh, some great insights on leadership, coaching, mentoring. Throughout the series, we, we're doing, a, uh, first of all, I thought we were going to do some stargazing. Then I thought, no, that's probably not appropriate. What about future gazing? Um, in your opinion, what do you think is the next disruptive force? What, what, what are we walking into? So my guess is everybody at the moment is saying AI and automation and, and all of that. And and yes, absolutely. And particularly, you know, with the amount of, of data and processing that it requires, the data center industry will be completely disrupted because of that. So much demand coming. But where I see the actual impact is on the people within organizations and the structure of organizations and the skills and capabilities that are needed to manage this. So for example, you know, what are the actual new roles that are being created through this? You know, people programming, maybe, but what about um, using it? I mean, we, we use, you know, 
ChatGPT, anyone can make a query just in plain language, right? So is it a new skill that we learn how to engage with our AI? Um, and so, and also it's kind of critical thinking. It's like, yeah, you know, work smarter, not harder. I am a huge proponent of using the tools that are appropriate for this, but I think there's a real layer of analytics that goes, um, what if this is actually real? What if this, you know, how can I take this so I didn't have to bust my brain thinking, you know, brainstorming? I've got that. How do I take this and make it really creative? So I'm actually looking forward to really, really amazing solutions um, throughout the end of this. Yeah, and um, I think you've raised a very interesting point there is the, um, the time lag between the technology and people skills, structures and behaviours to almost support the organisation and the growth of the organisation, right? Absolutely. I mean, organizations might change structure just in order to support this. Who knows what's coming? I think there's some real opportunities out there. Well, I'm absolutely convinced there is going to be, Lauren, without question. Um, look, that's the... Um, that's been a fascinating conversation with you this morning. So thank you so much for your time given. Um, we've talked about a number of different topics, haven't we? We've talk talked about your journey. We've talked about how you've reached out to way out in the Australian uh, outback and beyond. Um, let's be absolutely right. We've talked about how do we address sustainability and change and transformation. And we're also looking at, you know, how, how do we support some of our early talents and attract those into a, what I classify as a super interesting environment. So, Lauren, thank you for spending the time with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Mark.